there were a couple from the United States. She had been a Broadway singer, an actress. Fell in love with a guy that was a missionary. Changed the whole trajectory of her life. Took them two weeks to get to where they were going to have their mission field. She said we went by airplane first, and then we went by a little airplane, and we went by vehicle, and then we ended up in a boat. And she actually had said we went a little ways on elephants. <laughs> and they got to this place where they believed God had them. And they began to reach out to people, and it was hard because the culture was so uh, ingrained in the folks. Set up a sign outside and said, Hey, come on down to our church. Nobody's going to show up. And so God began to give them uniqueness in how they reached people. Began to show them how to get under the, the surface of the culture. They love the people so much, but how do you love them when there's a wall between you? And they started to have children. Their youngest boy was seven. And they were trying to homeschool. And what she found out in the middle of it was she was no good at homeschooling. No good at it. She was a loving mom. No good at schooling. And so at seven years old, they packed up this little kid and sent him to a school that he had to go. Uh, had, it was away from him. It was actually on the coast of Thailand. Seven years old. going to a strange place multiple kids and your mom and dad are not around. And so what happened was is this uh, little kid, this little boy, went there and spent the fall there, couldn't come home until Christmas time. Now I tell you what, see when you're seven time, you don't know what time really is. Your parents say to you, hey, uh, half hour, and you're thinking, that is forever. I'll never live that long. He got to come home at Christmas, and his dad was preaching. Uh, he was sitting next to his mom, and his dad said, if anyone hasn't committed their life to Christ today, then I want you to get out of your seat and come forward, because this is an opportunity. And his dad had his eyes closed. He looked down. <laughs> this little boy showed up. Now, there's something about knowing God that we're going to talk about today. And this little boy gave his heart to Christ. And his dad asked him, mom asked him afterward, man, what is going on? He said, I got there, I was so homesick. I didn't know anybody. But I found I could trust in God. And the message of Christ was so real to me of what I knew to be home. The knowledge, folks, that we have in Christianity sometimes is information. It's not bad information, but it has no experience to it. It has no reality in the, in the world we live in. And we have a knowledge, but we kind of live in a way that it's just a a mixture of what we think about ourselves, what our boss thinks about us, the bills we have to pay, the responsibilities that we have. So this morning we're going to talk about 
and look at. What it means to be at his feet. What it means to come to a place where there is a knowing. What it means that the gospel can reach the heart of a seven-year-old and change that little kid's life and the trajectory of his life forever. We're in this third chapter of Ephesians, and if you want to turn there with me, we're super high-tech today. We had a squirrel come work on our sound system, and that's a joke, right? Actually, squirrel. Paul talks about when he was going about doing his ministry, he was, you know, he had to deal with robbers and had to deal with weather and had to deal with bandits. But they talked about had to deal with wild animals. Well, this week we had to deal with wild animal, uh, getting in here and chewing up the cords, you know. But sometimes I prefer not the squirrel getting his way, but I prefer just the word, just the word. I prefer just. A simple worship where you don't even know the words. Do you find yourself sometimes in worship where you don't know the words, you just sing your own words? Man, don't just sit there, and I encourage you not to just sit there and go, I don't know this song. Man, sing your song. If you turn with me to the third chapter of Ephesians, we want to take a look at this knowing business. I want to take a look at how big of a deal it is. It's a big deal to know. And it's a big contrast for mere information. Paul says, I'm going to start in verse 1 of chapter 3. He says, For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ, Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, is what you have for the sake of other folk, or is what we have for our sake? He says, If indeed you've heard of the stewardship of God's grace which was given to me for you, it impacted him, but it went through him. There's something about whatever you and I had for lunch last week. I don't remember last Thursday what I had for lunch. don't remember if I had lunch, but I, listen, look at me. I know I had something to eat, right? Well, part of that sandwich became who I am. Part of that soup becomes who I am. Because I have to receive it inside of me. I have to chew it up. I have to what the word we're going to hit today is the word partake. I have to be able to take it in. And I have to let that word work in me, that sandwich work in me. To the place that I can't say I'm trying hard. But I can say I believe. He says in verse 3 that by revelation there was made known to me the mystery as I wrote before and brief. By referring to this, when you read, you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ. He's not calling himself guru. Like, okay, I have information that I will dispense to you because I'm going to show you what an amazing person I am. You know, we need to be careful. The Bible says, don't let there be many teachers among you because they're going to undergo a more severe scrutiny by God. Be careful. And he's saying that there doesn't have to be a worry in us that, oh, no, I can't say anything because I might mess up. He's saying that what you know needs to be what? By revelation, 
It needs to be that which doesn't come from labor and a devoted life and all these things. It comes from revelation. He says, by referring to this, when you read, you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which in other generations was not made known to the sons of men. Who's he talking about? The sons of men. He means everybody prior to the coming of Christ and the cross and the resurrection didn't put these pieces together. They couldn't be put together. We'll talk about that in a minute. As it has now been what? Revealed to his holy apostles and prophets in the Spirit. There's so much out there in the church about who the Holy Spirit is, what he is, if he is, and we're nervous. Because on one side, we have to defend the fact that the reality of the Holy Spirit, he's a person. On the other hand, we have to say the work of the Holy Spirit has ceased because now we have the Bible. And depending on which side, which team we are, all it tells the world is our knowledge is worth nothing. Because in the cross of Jesus Christ, four roads intersected in him. The road of judgment, the road of justice, the road of love, and the road of forgiveness met where Jesus was on that cross. Met him right there. That we see God changing everything because Jesus became this propitiation, this sacrifice, this, this perfect Lord and Savior of our lives. And he says that it's, it's been revealed. He says to be specific in verse 6 that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, fellow members of the body and partakers, fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. He's talking about a kind of knowing here. See, listen, as you look around this morning, look behind you a little bit. Look in front of you. I, 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 we've started churches before. Man, you don't even want to look behind you because you know nobody's there. <laughs> but listen, you are, the, you are the best kept secret in this community. We're not, I'm not waiting for the bus to show up and the first team that's supposed to bring life to this neighborhood is going to show up and we can relax. We are it. And I love it when we're the it. That's my favorite. Is when God says, I want to do something to you, but as I do it to you, I'm going to do it through you. All of us could be somewhere else this morning. I've been in the big churches, and I think there's nothing wrong with that. I've watched the church go from a small group to where it changed the community, made a difference. And because I've seen that, man, it's in my DNA. Because what Jesus does changes everything. It changes not only my family, it not only changes my neighborhood, it changes cities, it changes nations, it changes the world. And this dynamite, this dunamis, as it talks about in the Bible, man, it's in us. 
And yet we find ourselves sometimes thinking small and hating it. Some of us love it. We don't want to sit in the big church and be in the back. Some of us look forward to being in the back of the church. We started a small group in Denver a couple years ago. And you start in a home, and people come to a home to meet, and they're strangers. Hey, listen, there's no back row, is there? And I love that. It's not the exposing of people that I love. It's that opportunity where people have, have, have gone through the inconvenience to get up or have come after work and come into a community, come into a place where they don't know anymore anybody like this seven-year-old that faces an impossible moment, faces the devil's attack that could just, just push that kid into his own world, push this kid into life was so hard, push this little boy to the place <coughs> where he would despair and have something his whole life to try to get over. A, a, a light, a furnace, a fire was built in this little heart. His dad couldn't share anymore to this little boy. Because it was so beautiful. It was so precious. It's a story that's told. See, this story, you know, when I heard this story, I heard this story in 1983. There's something about it that's rib sticking. It's like my mom used to give us oatmeal sometimes. I'm not a big, how many like cream of wheat? Anybody here love cream of wheat? Whoa, see, that's big. Right? See, if you doctor it up, if you put enough stuff in it, it's pretty good. But it's nothing like cream of wheat when you do that, all right? But my mom would make oatmeal. And in those days, I lived on a farm, and you, you, the cream would be on the top of the milk like this, you know, and you spoon out that cream that's more of a block. It's delicious. I couldn't eat it now. And it's called, she said, well, this is rib sticking. It's going to stick with you. It's going to be a furnace on the inside of you. Information is on us. Sometimes we're like Christians. Everything that's really valuable is in our journal. And we go back and look at it, and there's nothing wrong with doing it. But it needs to move from the journal to our inside of us. We need, to, we need to partake of it. We need to eat it. We need to chew it up and swallow it and let it become us. As we go back to verse 5, the first part of Ephesians 3, it says, it says, "...which in other generations was not made known to the sons of men." There were all kinds of things in the Old Testament that said this is coming. It's going to happen. Genesis 12.3. He's talking to Abraham, and I will bless those who bless you, Abraham, and the one who curses you, I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth. This would include both Jew and Gentile shall be blessed. That there was this message in the very beginning that talks about all, and not just some. That the purpose of Israel was to be like this lamp, this light, this beacon to the world and say, you know what? He's real. And he likes, he, he, he loves you too. Isaiah 49, 6 says this. The father here, just a prelim, is speaking uh, to the Messiah, his son, in the Old Testament. Says this, is, is it too small a thing that you should be my servant to rise up the tribes of Jacob, and to restore the preserved ones of Israel, I also make you a light of the nations, so that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. 
There was these moments all the way through the Old Testament that talked about God redeeming the world and God saving. God getting at the heart of a seven-year-old in a faraway place. None of the prophets, generations of devoted priests and believers, no one understood the great truth of the church. United as one body and without racial distinctions. There's something about that that, man, just, just gets me. Because he's saying the bias that we have is not good enough. It can't be, it can't be manipulated and, and massaged enough to where it will give it in to a better thing. No, it remains a prejudice inside us. We're afraid of things. Listen, in Christ, it's not that we can struggle now against fear. It's that there's no reason for it. It's gone. There's no place that fear can abide except related to coming in the reverence to God and experiencing His holiness. That is the only definition left for a believer in regards to fear. That there's something about what knowing really means and is. There's something about it we have to get. Because I'll tell you what, we can sit here and be comfortable. We can sit here and wonder why nobody else is here. Or we can be that light out there that doesn't need a great understanding, a great vast information. How many of us, don't raise your hand, <laughs> how many of us are afraid sometimes to talk to people because they may ask a question that we can't answer? Or we might answer something and mess them up, get them down the wrong path. So much of the time, folks, Christians are not thinking outside of their religious services about anybody else. They think about their family. They think about their spouse. But in terms of the value of the cross to the folks that are just across the road from us, we don't think about that so much. We don't want to be a nuisance. We don't want to be annoying. There's something about this, this knowing we cannot coax something unchanged to act as if it's changed. There's something about the, this revelation that's been kept hidden that now it's being what? It's being made known. It's being re revealed without partiality, without a bias, without a prejudice. It's being revealed in such a way that it says to us as Christians, is what we believe what he has revealed? Or is it hybridized to be a little bit of me, a little bit of the world, and a little bit of what he says? There's something about the change that happens in the knowing that now we don't have to try to be something. We are something. We are something that God can not only work in, but and he revealed it as ginasko. He revealed it as a knowledge that is connected with experience. We've been told our whole Christian life, it's not just about the experience. Well, I'm here to tell you today, it's about the experience. It's about what knowledge does in a human heart. It's about that thing that we all hold in our heart that has a little separate uh, 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 room to it. 
That it's not encased, it's not enclosed in the heart that belongs to God. It's set separate to it. And it causes us to worry, to fret. It causes us to be afraid. It causes us to look at ourselves the wrong way. It causes us to be blurred in terms of who the image, what, and what is the image of God. This ginasco, it brings about what the revealed word is about. It brings about what truth in the inner man will do. The Bible says truth, know the truth, and it'll liberate you. Have a booklet and, and pages full of the truth, but not be in you changes nothing. See, I'll tell you what, the masks, folks, are coming off. Because the church of Jesus Christ in this country is struggling. It's struggling. It's not my job to say, well, she's this or she's that, or why doesn't she get right? It is my job to say, God, start here. Start here. Start in my heart. Start working here. Because there's, there's characteristics about those that know in their knower. That's an old-timey old saying, knowing in your knower, okay? There's, there's characteristics that come out of that. There's devotion. It talks about this in Acts 2, 41 through 47. There's devotion. Wow. Devotion. The breaking of bread, fellowship to prayer. There's a sense of awe. It says everybody since had a sense of awe. Wouldn't it just burn out? I mean, if you were just awestruck all the time, wouldn't it just kind of be like a about a feeling. He's talking about life, vibrancy. Just wait a few more weeks. When the temperatures get a little higher, it won't take that long. And you'll start seeing green occur. It can't help it. Life is in it. It talks about this, this, this revealing, this ginasco, this, this knowing, this, this clarity, this caretaking, this exactness. And it's coming through apostles and prophets. Listen, folks. We're interdependent with one another. It's by design. And if we think it's just Jesus and us, you're faking yourself out. You are. Now, if you're the little boy and you're at the boarding school and all you have is Jesus, man, it begins there. over it, curing this little boy of loneliness, homesickness, it's a light that begins to shine to others. It's a light that begins to what? Change his family, change his neighborhood, change his city. Ephesians 2.19 says, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household, having been built on a foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the there's something about what God does to gift the body of Christ so that we don't end up being islands unto ourselves. So that there is clarity, there is care, there is caretaking, and then there is what? Exactness. Read the, the Old Testament where they had to put together the tabernacle in the wilderness. Listen, folks. 
if you brought goods and you gave it in the wilderness for the building of that tabernacle, there was no Costco to replace that. You gave it in such a way that it was something about revelation more than it was about man self-preservation. They gave it not knowing how long, not knowing if, not knowing what was next. They gave it generously. But God says, I want this thing built with what? Exactness, with precision. Because as that was carried in the wilderness, as it came to the place where David went out to collect it, to bring it into Jerusalem, he had, he would, he had, had a place for it. But it was done in such a way that what? They put it on a cart instead of carrying it like they should. And the oxen stumbles and the, the, the ark is tipping over. And Uriah, being a good man, trying to do a good thing, reaches out to steady the cart and God strikes him dead. What? We get mixed up, folks. We get mixed up with good deeds. so much of our life and so much of us so we have to be so careful sometimes we mix in nobody's doing it so I'll do it I'll be faithful I'll take care of this it's a need I must meet and we don't what we don't go to him first and we cheat somebody else that that's their work because we're unwilling to go find them You know the prospectors of old? You know the, 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 the guy with the big beard and the beat-up hat and, the, and he had a mule, okay? And it's a pick and there's baggage and he's, he's going out into the wilderness, right? What was he looking for? He was looking for something nobody else was willing to go look for. Did he dig one hole? No, he had to learn where that gold Don't know how to dig for the gold. Don't know how to prospect. Don't know how to use a pick. Don't know how to get out of themselves to go enjoy that other person. And we think, it'll just pull out of me. It'll just, what, take away from me. It'll just be so costly to pour into other lives. You don't understand. See, the gold is for you as well as it, what, is for other people. We haven't run into our best friend yet. Barnabas saw this guy in Jerusalem. And everybody else was nervous about it. Everybody else thought, man, this dude is dangerous. Watch out for him. Because he's the guy that had authority from the leaders to go out and arrest believers, arrest disciples. Man, be careful with this guy. What did Barnabas do? Man, he went and said, man, tell me your story. What is your story? And he tells him about this road to Damascus, this light. And this person he met, man, he's a scholar of all things Jewish and all things godly. 
And this voice speaks to him. And it's Jesus talking to him. But he says, Lord, who are you? See, he had, he had the knowing of information, but he had no revelation of who Christ was. And he tells the story about, man, I went into Damascus, and this guy named Ananias came over to the house. And this guy's, I, I, Paul said, man, I was blind, but this boy I could tell was nervous. <laughs> because he too knew Paul's reputation. And yet, when Ananias came to talk to Paul, he said, Brother Saul, and share with him what God had revealed to him. And Barnabas took this guy connected him with those that were the leaders of this movement. Changed everything. See, these people that sit outside these walls were once lost. How many of us sit outside the walls? Man, I did. I wasn't working for God. I wasn't really interested. Didn't think I needed it. Thought if I just tried hard enough, I could explore Alaska enough or get a place where I could get my feet on the ground, I could, I could make it happen. I could, I could find my own way. I could not find my own way. That at 19, I was no different than that seven-year-old. I saw my dad at 89, no different than that seven-year-old. Resisting the gospel. My dad resisted the gospel his whole life because he thought he was a good man that had made a few mistakes, but the good outweighed the mistakes. And yet when my dad came to Christ, Julie gave him a bracelet that says, Jesus loves you. And he would point it at her every time she goes by. Folks, listen to me. I'm not trying to say they're problems. I'm trying to say they're solutions. I'm trying to say to us as a body of believers, these pews are meant to be occupied. So does that mean I want to hustle you out there? No, but how often have you come a little early to church and maybe picked up something or whatever else, but prayed for who God wants to sit in these places? How often have you gone through your neighborhood and just said, Lord, I'm just going to pray for the houses in my neighborhood? How often have you seen a, a neighbor pulling in instead of just a hey, howdy-ho neighbor wave? You went over and said, man, I'm Rick. Man, glad to meet you. I see, man, you got some kids and and, and all of a sudden, there becomes what? A connection, a bridge. So is it exhorting Christians to get active? No, it's exhorting Christians to be who you are. Let the world stop telling us who we are. Let your own inadequacy stop telling us who we are. Let our sin nature, that secret place in our heart, stop telling us who we are, who God is. There is a restoration, there is a renewal, there is a revival that's happening among us. It's already started. It started, folks, in your own sense of conviction. That if you had no conviction, folks, you wouldn't be here. I'm not talking about feeling bad. I'm talking about sensing there's more. Sensing there's substance. Sensing that there's more than what I know of. How many of you have been in your quiet time that you've done for years and it's just not getting it done like it used to? That's conviction. Because there's more. It's not more busyness. It's not less time, free time. It's not that. It's the more of God. But he wants, he wants new wineskins to pour this wine into. 
He is not going to pour the things of heaven, the Holy Spirit, into something that's compromised and biased and prejudiced. He's not going to do it. And so the conviction is working in us, isn't it? Working in us. There comes a time, folks, where we need to let the King of Kings, the Master, take his axe to the root of whatever compromises us. And we think, well, he's the Lord. He can take the axe to it any time. But he's not going to. He's looking for us to welcome the stroke. Will you welcome it? Not so that you become less. Not so that you become the, 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 the young lady in the gingham dress and the bun. Okay? He's not looking for that. He's not looking for conformity. He's looking for transformation. He's looking for us to honor the Son. Honor the sacrifice. To come and find ourselves brought to justice in our injustice because of the cross of Christ. To find ourselves entering into love when we've been unloving and compromised and coming short, wanting us to come into realizing that judgment is no longer on our head because somebody paid the price for us. And folks becoming instruments of forgiveness. There are churches in town, believers, we will not, we will not have fellowship with. People that believe in Jesus Christ because they do this or that that says you're not orthodox. We're orthodox. Listen, tell you what, it says in 1 John 4, we're going to stand before the, ju the judgment seat of God. We are going to be there. I don't know how the line is going to work. Is it going to be like take a ticket at the DMV and then just kind of wait your turn? I don't know how it's going to happen. But I can't take any evidence with me. I can't have those that would advocate for me come with me. It's just me and God. And yet it says we'll have confidence in that day. Why? Because the love of God has been poured out into what? Our journal. Our notes on the wall. Our refrigerator full of information. He says, into our hearts. That's where it's been poured. And our quiet time becomes at his feet. Because he says, if I will humble myself, he'll what? He'll raise me up. If you've been raised up, you know it's true. You know it's true. But it's not a one-time thing. Back in 1978, I got raised up. Listen, nobody's going to read that tract. It's a living Lord that we serve. It's a, it's a living Christ. The delivery system of this revelation in verse 5 says it's the Holy Spirit. It's, the, it's a person of the Spirit. Folks, God is knocking on the door of our heart. He's not asking us for it to give, us, give it a better try. Get stirred up. Get the emotion. Try to find the awe. He's saying, let me be your awe. He did this to Nahum and the Syrian. Covered with leprosy. Covered with armor over the leprosy. And as he gets to the house of the prophet that was supposed to come out and lay hands on him or do something and heal him, the prophet didn't even come out. Sent his servant. He's, he's, he's angry. And then the servant says, the prophet says, the God says, all you need to do is go right over there to the Jordan River, dip yourself seven times, you'll be healed. He was offended. He was incensed. The revelation didn't bring peace to his heart. It disturbed that 
place in his heart where God no longer had the right to. It disturbed him. He flashed in anger. Man, aren't these rivers back where I come from? Clearer, pure. I could have done it there. And yet this little servant, this powerless person in his entourage says to him, Master, if we would have asked you to do some great thing, you'd have done it. And so this man, who had such prestige, such a reputation, peeled off this armor. Can you see him? Can you see him going to that water? And pretty soon everybody is kind of taken aback by the disease that covered this man. By how he had covered it with metals and armor and shields and girded himself with a goes in this humility. Can you imagine the fourth dunk, what he's thinking? How about the fifth dunk? How about the sixth dunk? And each time he looks down to that, that open sore on his arm and he goes back down again. But the seventh time, right? Came out, his skin was like the skin of a baby. Can we let our heart be like the skin of this seven-year-old, the heart of this little kid? Who without any help, who without any understanding, who without the, without the adult thinking could experience, receive the revelation, this knowledge, this mystery revealed, without any propping's up. Mom and Dad, you know what? I am so homesick. Anybody in here ever been homesick? It is sickness. It's the real thing. I remember the first time my mom had me, I, allowed me to go to a friend's house and spend the night. I got to about 10 o'clock. I went to the mom, Alma, uh, I can't remember her last name. Um, and I said, my mom needs a boy. And she was kind enough to disturb my mom and have me go pick her up. There's something about it. There's something about that heart sickness. See, folks, I don't long to be okay. I am okay. I'm okay. I'm not looking for more of God's love because he promises me that I'll be learning it another for eternity. You know what's my interest? You are. You're my interest. You're knows what a preposition is? What my real land is here for? Remember seventh grade English class? <laughs> oh, how we loved it. Didactic sentences. Right. Preposition connects this noun to other words in the sentence. Right. In the Greek, there are two words that are used to talk about the location or our proximity to other people. There's meta, M-E-T-A, and there's the word sun, or sun, S-U-N. Meta means we're among. Right? Means that when we gather, we're among. Right? We're in proximity to them. Okay? But he doesn't use that word. He uses sun, 
which means that we are integrated and brought together. We're put together in such a way that we're like making biscuits. Biscuits are pretty simple ingredients. A little salt, a little shortening, okay, right? Flour, oil, okay? They're pretty simple things. A little liquid in there, buttermilk perhaps. And you pull these individual items out of the fridge or out of the cupboard or out of the pantry, and you start what? The word is what? You incorporate them to the place after you've mixed that dough for that biscuit, you can't pull out the individual parts anymore. It's been incorporated. They're still there. They're still what they are. But they're influencing one another. He's saying we are fellow heirs. Isn't that something? What does it mean there? It means I have something. I possess something. Knowledge, this revelation of Jesus Christ means I possess it. It says that we're what? We're fellow members. He's not talking about members of the country club. He's talking about members of the body. Now what? We're fellow partakers. Listen, if perse great persecution breaks out upon the church in the United States, all you have to do is go to Starbucks. You'll get like 90% of them. All right? you get them. Because okay? we love to go there together, don't we? All right? I love when people say, I don't drink coffee. It's like, oh no, how are we going to fellowship? <laughs> but see, we'll, we'll fellow partakers of the promise of Christ. We're members of his body. But we're partakers through the gospel. Jesus Christ died on this cross, folks. He brought forth justice. brought forth what? Judgment. He brought forth love. And he brought forth forgiveness. He didn't address them. He satisfied them. He took care of them. And in the revealing of this mystery to all who believe in him, he gives this is eternal life, John 17, 3, that they may know you. The only true God and Jesus Christ whom you sent. Can we today? Is God working on us, knocking on the door of our heart? Is he saying to you like Cornelius, listen, I want you to send some service to Joppa. There's a guy there. There's a man there. It's going to come, and he's going to show you. He's going to demonstrate. He's going to tell you about this way to God. This Cornelius had been a faithful dude as far as a Roman centurion. Roman, uh, 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 he was part of a cohort, a large uh, part of the army, like a battalion. He said, man, this guy's going to help you. Why didn't God just speak to him? Because we're biscuits. And that's what he's intended. And while this servant or servants are on the journey to go find this man, Peter, Peter walked with Jesus, saw Jesus crucified, ran to the empty tomb, was there when Jesus entered the room, was there when Jesus said, Peter, do you love me? Was there at Pentecost. This guy had knowledge of God, and it was good. But he did not have yet this revelation 
of this mystery of his bride, his church, his people. And this sheet with all these unclean animals to the Jew was let down. And this voice said, Arise, Peter, Peter, kill and eat it. And every time he thought it was a test, he said, Lord, uh, lips that touch wine will not touch mine. He tried to take the stand. He was orthodox. And it happened three times. He had no idea what it meant. Knock on the door. And doors open. This guy's saying, hey, God sent us over here to find this guy. <laughs> See, this is normal in the kingdom. A man has walked back to Capernaum. And this room, this house was filled with people. Peter would never and had never fellowship with it. And then he said, what? I now understand that God has no partiality, no bias, and no prejudice. He's saying to us believers, he's not saying get stirred up, get excited, get inspired. He said, man, let's eat this word together this morning. There's people we need to pray for this morning that are sick. And maybe some of us in here don't feel too good. But if you feel God knocking on your heart, you know it to be true. That this addendum, it's leaning against your heart, but it's not a part of the heart that belongs to Christ. Because he's dealing with that. Whatever it is, whatever it might be, you don't have to go home with it. These floors are pretty clean, but people have dumped that overload of their heart all over the place in this place. What if anything, has there been anything in the scriptures this morning, anything that's impacted you in any way? Just put your hand up. In any way. Big, little, small, huge, okay? Just so. somebody. Perhaps you're the servant to a Naaman in here. But then instead of hunkering down saying, oh Lord, deal with me. He'll deal with you as you go up and you become that what? That a midwife in terms of something God wants to do to that other believer, that other person. I won't have time for that as, as we close. The worship guys can come back up. Uh, we'll, we'll close take our offering this morning, and then we're going to have some prayer time. two little pieces, two little coins, two pennies, two parts of pennies. And Jesus marveled because she gave everything she had. Wow. Well, it's not about how much. But Father, it's a part of our character. We need to 
We just thank you, Father, for that work that you want to do in this best-kept secret. We just ask you to be glorified by it in Jesus' name. the cabin. 